This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault, and today we are doing our yearly look at who we think are going to win at the Oscars, who we think should win at the Oscars, and most importantly, who was snubbed. And coming back on to ContraZoom is someone who sees all of the early favorites before anyone else, Ms. Mehek Saeed, who lives at TIFF Festival and has seen most of these movies before any of us knew that they existed. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be back. (laughs) Good. It's always fun having you on to talk about movies because I know you're so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so are you. So which is great because a lot of people in my real life are like, yeah, we get that it's a good movie, Mahek. But I'm like, no, I want to talk about it more. So you it's don't nice. understand <laughs> how I'm literally Lady Bird. <laughs> exactly. Like. <laughs> uh, all right, then uh, I guess I'll preface this a little bit. We can talk about what we, what we maybe have seen or not seen as far as uh, the big contenders, especially in the best picture race. Uh, I myself, I've seen all the best pictures. Every year I try to see all the movies. I think I still have about. 25 to go with the majority being short uh animated short live action short and foreign language short and then some here and there that i just haven't been able to either catch in theaters or find online or whatever uh the method of watching oscar movies you prefer to do what Mm -hmm. about you um, yeah, I like, you know, in that very, very nice introduction that you provided, uh, I saw a lot of these, like, you know, the best picture type of contenders early on in the season. And then, and I think that's just kind of how I operate because I take that week during TIFF and I see as much as I can. And then things just kind of really go downhill from there for me. So there's a lot that I haven't seen in like the shorts categories and like the animated features, um, I haven't seen Blade Runner 2049. So, yeah, there's a lot that, I, that I'm that i missing out on. But I still think, you know, I can talk about some stuff. So, Okay. Well, I think, you know, you're still well-versed enough in what's going around because while it's nice to see everything and have personal favorites, there's so much politicking that goes on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, the, the clearest one that we're probably going to run into talking about is the best actor race. Yes. Uh, that I think is the most obvious of, of, of that this year. Um, but more often than not, you know, there might be some, some subtle politics at play as has this person ever been nominated before? Do we think they're going to be nominated in the future? Did we mess up and not give them the award last time? Things like that, that always sort of need to be considered that, you know, for a lot of people kind of leaves their heads scratching on Oscar night being like, really that, that person uh, mm-hmm. yes you know they were good but were they the best yeah <laughs> so I think that's something that you can definitely talk to because I think you follow the industry very closely um, along with having your own personal opinions on what you think is deserving which is why I think you're a perfect person to come on and talk with me 
yeah, I'm going to do my best. And this is going to be a nice exercise for me because for the last 10 days, all I've been saying is Black Panther for everything. So <laughs> it, it'll be good to dive into what's happening right now in terms of award season. And then I will go back to saying Black Panther for everything for next year's award season. So. Yeah, I, you know what? I actually wouldn't mind, you know, pivoting very quickly to that. I have not seen Black Panther yet. It is like, I have to see that in theaters. I don't want to see that at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but superhero movies, for some reason or another, even with their technical achievements, usually get mostly ignored. You know, this year we've got Guardians of the Galaxy for visual effects and Logan for adapted screenplay, but there's no other superhero movie anywhere else. Do you think this might be the movie that sort of breaks through and maybe gets five or six nominations, especially like in the below the line categories? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we're already seeing a lot of people in the film community kind of rallying for it. And it's so early on in the year that, you know, some people will say, okay, it might lose steam or, you know, it's going to be, you know, one of those things that has its moment right now and it might not, you know, might not have any presence later on. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that Black Panther, you know, the the effect that it's had on film goers, the impact that it's had at the box office, I think it's just such a huge way to kick off 2018 that there's no way we're gonna we're gonna let this be forgotten, right? And I, I don't think critics are gonna forget it either, who are you know so key to this entire process, and I don't think Oscar voters are gonna forget it either. I think there's a lot of people out there who really want to see this movie succeed, right? And now that it's been out for about a week and a half now, North America, and it's gotten insanely great reviews, it's smashing at the box office, 700 million worldwide. Um, there's, there is place for it to be recognized at the, at the awards next year. And I think like you mentioned, it probably will end up kind of getting slated into categories or being recognized in categories for, um, you know, like the costume work and for maybe the visual effects, um, things like the original, uh, the, the score and like the, the soundtrack. So like Kendrick Lamar, you know, he curated that and he has an amazing song on there. The weekends on there, there's a lot of great, great stuff on that, on that compilation actually. So I, I, I do think that we will circle back to Black Panther next year and it's going to have some place there. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count people, or, sorry, I wouldn't count, not, not that I would count people, I wouldn't count the film out in the conversation for best picture. And I know that's a pretty bold, bold thing to say, because as you mentioned, superhero movies don't really have the best record when it comes to awards, but this is probably the best Marvel film that I've seen. I think it's one of the best that they've ever produced. And that's because kind of similar to Logan, although there is this sort of, it's definitely based in comic book roots and it has this, you know, this, um, this Afrofuturistic world. It's very much based in a lot of political commentary, a lot of commentary about identity and community and culture. And I think that's, you know, something that is really well done in the film and could carry on to that level of recognition. I think maybe, you know, all those categories that you you mentioned, I think could definitely very well be in play. I think maybe a good dark horse would be Michael B. Jordan for supporting actor. He seems to be getting the most praise uh, from critics as far as an individual performance standpoint. And with his 
recent work of being Fruitvale Station and in Creed, both times he was very heavily whispered as, will he be nominated? This might finally be the time that he breaks through and gets that nomination because they can sort of look back and be like, well, you know, we didn't nominate him for Creed and we probably should have. Here he is finally again with a really great performance that we can honor him with. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point. I'm really excited for you to see him in the film because I think this is his, one of his best performances yet. Um, he he really took on the character of Eric Killmonger so well. And Michael B. Jordan is actually set up for a really huge year this year because he's got a he's got a project with HBO that's coming out in the spring. Uh, I think it's called Fahrenheit 941 or 491. 451. It's based 451. on 451. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he's the lead in that. Um, he has a project with Netflix that's coming out this year. And uh, he's in pre-production for Creed 2, mm-hmm. uh, which last I read about it, it's actually due out for release at the end of this year. Hmm. So Michael B. Jordan's going to be on everyone's list. He's definitely going to be in the forefront of a lot of projects coming out this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if we found him or found his name circulating in the award circuit next year. Yeah. All right. Uh, detour over. I guess we're going to go back into it now. Uh, instead of setting this up of, you know, most important to least important, however you want to call the awards, I kind of, I try to do somewhat of a, a flow to it while also just bigger categories coming in between smaller categories, much like the actual Oscars will be. So that way it can keep everyone sort of interested through the end. Uh, and so we're going to get started off with best original screenplay so the way this is going to work is we're going to talk about who we think should win who we think will win and then end it off with uh, who was snubbed whether it's either one movie in particular or if you have a couple out there that you really think should have been um, in the mix if you wish to say you know this person was snubbed and I think they should have been there in place of this person, of one that you had seen. Feel free to say that. If you just say, hey, you know, this person was snubbed. It would have been cool if they made it. You don't have to provide, a, you know, a swap out sort of sort of thing. Cool. Makes sense? Yeah, makes sense. All right. Uh, then uh, why don't you start off with uh, Best Original Screenplay? Who do you think should win? I mean, you know, talking about films that came out early in the year and just continued to kind of push through and had a huge, you know, breakout. Uh, Get Out is definitely my pick for what should win. Uh, Jordan Peele, you know, he he, he co-wrote this film, right? If I'm if I'm correct. Yes. Yes. Um, so I, I think you know the the kind of the level to which he wrote this story, and you know there's like the kind of overview and then there's also the little details, which also came in through his direction. Um, but I think it's just such a smart commentary and it was so such a, such an intelligent take on the horror genre as well that I, you know, I, I just, I, I would love to see it win. Uh, that being said, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of conversation about what Oscar voters look like now, right? Because there's been a whole bunch of changes uh, to the system and to the, to the makeup of it. So are they likely to vote for, you know, first time nominee, you know, someone who comes from a comedy background? Um, or are they going to go for someone who is more in line with what's typical of Oscar fare? Um, which is why I kind of I have a feeling that three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri might take it. Um, and that's a very, very well produced screenplay as well. I mean, Mar- Martin McDonough, is that how you pronounce it? Martin McDonough. Yep. Um, 
his uh, his work on that script is incredible, and it's 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 a well paced film and super super funny, even though it's very dark uh, in its subject material. Um, and it, it definitely has caught the attention of a lot of people. So I think you know, given its kind of traction, like you know, the traction that it's gained over the last few months, wouldn't be surprised if he ends up taking it home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, who is your snub? So, uh, I think last year I was like really, really excited when the lobster was nominated, um, or was that two years ago now? The years are blending together, but I loved the killing of a sacred deer and that could be just like my sort of preference for this like very dry kind of storytelling, but it's, you know, it's, it's got its own charm to it. So it's by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, he wrote, he wrote the killing of a sacred deer and, um, it's not as accessible as the lobster was. So I, I can kind of see why the killing of a sacred deer just kind of, um, you know, fell under the radar and didn't get as much attention as the lobster did, but it, it was a very, very well-written, well-written film and so weird, but I was into it. So I was, I was kind of disappointed that it didn't get, get, a much, get as much attention as it should have. Yeah, that's one I, I haven't been able to get a chance to, to catch up with. Uh, I have to wonder if it was, it was a very decisive movie when it came out, um, mm-hmm. that that just kind of scared off people that were like, I like the lobster, but I don't think I can get any weirder from here. Yeah. I mean, and that, you know, when I say that the lobster was accessible, like, it wasn't, it wasn't even that accessible for a lot of people. Right. I think like, I think, you know, like it was kind of like a dystopian sort of scenario. So maybe some people could get into that idea. Uh, the killing of a sacred deer is, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird sort of horror drama film and the, the sort of horror elements to it. I don't think people could fully get on board with and the, the delivery of, of, um, you know, of the, of the plot and the, the, the actual screenplay it might not be for everyone, right? Because the concept itself is pretty crazy. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the delivery and the, the kind of direction uh, that Lanthimos goes with is not for everyone. I totally get that, but I was into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, for my picks, uh, for who I think should win, I, I agree with you. I, I think Ghetto is, uh, the, is the best script of the year uh, in this category. It does a lot of really interesting original things while also taking on a lot of tropes, both in the horror genre and sort of life itself and, and really subverting expectations. And Jordan Peele does a, a really excellent job crafting a great narrative story, really believable characters, really smart dialogue too, uh, and, and totally gets his message across cross in just a, a very clean and simple way uh, mm-hmm. so I definitely would love to see that win as far as who I think will win uh, I am am going to I think I think three billboards has a great chance but I'm actually gonna go with get out uh, really yeah okay. the, the reason why is, is I always feel that for the screenplay winners uh one of them sometimes goes to best picture, but not always, uh, but it's a good probability. But otherwise, the screenplay awards are basically uh, the Academy saying, we actually think you have the best movie. We're just not going to give you the best picture award to do so. Uh, and I believe Get Out will, might sort of fall into that. I, be, I call it the Pulp Fiction Award because that mm-hmm. when that came out, that won Best Original Screenplay. And, you know, we look back on, I think that was 94, 95, where, you know, you say Best Movies from 94. 
Pulp Fiction, easy. And mm-hmm. and I and so it sort of falls into that category of the best movie, but the Academy isn't really going to say it's the best movie. Uh, and I, I think Get Out has a chance to do it. I'm going to say up front from here on out, uh, I remember when I had you on in the post-TIFF episode and we were talking about Three Billboards and I was talking about how excited I was to see it. I really did not like it. Uh, okay. <laughs> the more I talk about it, the less I like it mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons uh, that I'm not really going to go into all that much right now. One thing I did like is I did like the dialogue i think it was written smartly i had a big issue with the plotting uh but if they're going to give this award based purely on on the dialogue the snappy quick-witted jokes and insults i think three bull boards you know could definitely be a very deserving winner depending on what the academy thinks of it but i'm, I'm sticking with get out and then my snub is i Tonya. that was a movie that i kind of went in with mm-hmm. Not high expectations, but sort of, you know, I expected it to be good, but not really great. And and that was one I think I was very pleasantly surprised that it exceeded my expectations. And I, I quite enjoyed, uh, you know, the way the story was laid out, the character arcs, and especially the, the dialogue itself. You know, that's a great snub, actually, like for a pick, um, because a lot of, like, the, the editing in that film is really key, and we'll talk about that later, but... The uh, the kind of shift between you know the the sort of the the very sad and kind of you know the commentary on like middle class America is intertwined really nicely with the comedy elements of that mm-hmm. film, um, and that would have yeah definitely that would have been a great film to get nominated for sure. And it also employs a few different narrative techniques that I appreciate. You know, you're using the the interview slash archival footage. And then using that to help weave into the narrative of what is supposedly happening in the real time events. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then also from a written standpoint, I basically am calling this movie is uh, unreliable narrator, the movie, Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, you have in, in any given scene, like take, for instance, any any one of the scenes where Tanya Harding and her husband are fighting, it will be interrupted by. Uh, by Tanya Harding, by Margot Robbie's character, uh, saying this didn't actually happen, and then cut to an interview with the husband explaining what's happening on the screen, and then so there's there's the conflict going on within a single scene of how to tell an event, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm, for sure. I mean, I feel like I, Tanya on a whole, has like, it's kind of lost a little steam throughout this award season. And it makes me so sad because it's a, I, I really love that film. And just going back to three billboards very quickly. Um, I think as like time has passed the, like the kind of appreciation or the, the love that I had for that film walking out of TIFF has kind of gone down when you're outside of the festival environment. It's kind of nice to be able to really, think about (laughs) about that about the films that you see and you know some of the some of the issues or you know some of the strengths and issues that it had that they have and um I think I've started to recognize some of the faults that three billboards carries so I hear you (laughs) (laughs) all right uh now I'm gonna go into best adapted screenplay I'll start with this one who I think should win is uh call me by your name you know this was a movie that uh I had heard the stories about what it does to you emotionally. And I, I kind of wasn't really looking forward to, to watching it. And I wasn't, the, the trailer made the pacing of it seem really bad. 
mm-hmm. um, which you know you shouldn't you shouldn't always judge movies by trailers, but trailers can very often give you a pretty good example of what to look for if you know what to look for in the trailer. Uh, and I thought that the pacing mm-hmm. of it kind of looked a little bad, but I was very pleasantly surprised with how how much care and love was actually in this movie. And sure, yeah, it does leave you emotionally devastated at the very end, but those first three quarters of the movie, I think it moves along nicely. There's some really good insights as to what it means to be not only just coming of age but coming into your own sexuality and dealing with adults who are at maybe different maturity levels I think it kind of did a lot of really interesting things and that's something I was really happy with uh and then who Mm -hmm. I think will win I also think it'll be call me by your name where I'm gonna you know similar to get out where I don't think call me by your name is going to win best picture but this might be the the best picture that doesn't win best picture along with get out and they kind of accomplish two very different things uh but I, I like the nice contrast between it and then my snub was Mudbound. That was a, another movie that I, I went in. I actually went in with lower expectations. And uh, it's funny. I was just kind of talking about it today. Uh, as I was watching the movie, I found it a little hack-eyed. Uh, where I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, I get the, the typical racism of the South. But then by the time the ending came around and everything got way more intense, I sort of appreciated the the progression and arc that these characters were going on where, you know, everything was very muddy from the very beginning and then it kind of has this really big climactic scene. And then when you find out what is actually happening at the beginning, it's even more devastating. So that was, that was something I really appreciated in the, and I kind of wish was in there. I actually overall am pretty uh, disappointed with this category and, uh, and kind of wish it made, made room for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually is nominated oh damn it i should look me up on my sheet here <laughs> i wrote this down and, and didn't realize that you know what just ignore everything i said and that's why mudbound is a great nominee <laughs> yeah um mudbound I, I i totally agree with you i think like the first kind of two-thirds of that film you know you it's very it seems very typical pacing and like mm-hmm. the store of familiar story but the last third of that film really really is such a huge turning point for the entire thing that you're watching and you go back and you, you like you said you do appreciate it a lot more um and the way they kind of devries and virgil williams kind of built i uh, created those building blocks and like worked up towards the the, the climax of the film which is an incredible story it was it was an incredible film for sure now that i've um, proven how little i'm paying attention to this let's hear someone who has probably smarter <laughs> things to say than me no, <laughs> not at all. I like I I've been I was trying to kind of scratch my head because I was like I don't know what films have been adapted from from you know novels or you know sh- shorts or whatever. It, it was very I wasn't sure. So um, I I had picked um, Logan for who should win uh, under this category. I just I just feel like you know going back to our conversation about Black Panther and about superhero films as a whole. Logan is such a noteworthy achievement within that field. And, you know, for taking a story or like a superhero story and really focusing in 
on what makes the character who he is. And especially, you know, the circumstances for that film, it's like, you know, that's the last time Hugh Jackman's going to play Logan. And it was like a really great way to kind of tie up the, the character's story, which has, has kind of been built across, what was it, like 17 films, which is insane. <laughs> and it finally... Like, it's it's a movie, you know, at the end of all of it, I think it's the best characterization that they could have done out of all those movies for Logan um, and for Wolverine as a whole. And it, it doesn't focus so much on the superhero elements as it does on, you know, the person itself, um, which is why, like, I, I feel like, you know, we haven't seen that before. So I, I would love to see that kind of um, be recognized by the Academy. Uh, but I do think, like like you, Dakota, that Call Me By Your Name will win this. Um, and that's not to say I didn't love what was done with Call Me By Your Name. I haven't read the original novel, but um, I think what I really appreciated about that movie and about the way it was scripted was that there's so many quiet moments, right? And I think it really, you know, when you're watching the film, it definitely, you know, plays on, like, the nostalgia of being, like, a kid in the 70s or the 80s or even the early 90s without technology and you know you're just enjoying a hot summer day and you're you it's this coming of age story but it, it it looks at all the little moments of those of those special times in your life that really really build towards who you are or you know contribute to who you are and uh, I don't think that could have been done as successfully if it wasn't for these scenes that kind of celebrated the little moments and it's funny because I've talked to people about it and um you know when you're watching the film it's like some people will like it because of that and some people will hate it because of that uh because it you know it's like these like these very intricate or these kind of tiny moments that you know are examined throughout the film might lead to a little bit of a drier experience for some people but if you can get into it then you'll find that the emotions that James Ivory kind of carved out uh, were really beautiful as a result of that choice. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Call Me By Your Name is recognized for that. I think a lot of people will, you know, identify with the emotional aspects of that film. And um, yeah, it would be a great win. I agree. Um, do you have any, mm-hmm. you, you said you don't ha- know any other adapted screenplays. Or is that saying you don't have a snub for this? No, I don't have a snub for this. I just, I, I couldn't come up with anything. I mean, like, you know, as we'll go forward, you will see I pick a lot of Marvel films for my snobs for some reason. So I don't really want to say any of those for this. Um, you know so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to try to correct my pick and I'll just throw it out there. I wasn't 100% super in love with this movie, but I did like it enough. I'll just say Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah, for there sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a, that is a good pick, actually. <laughs> All right. Uh, and how about you, Leah, off for animated feature? Yeah, so, okay, I haven't, I have to admit, I haven't seen most of these. Um, The only one that I have seen is Coco, but it is also the film that's being spoken about the most, Um, and I fully understand why, so this is why I've decided that it will be my pick for who should win and who will probably win. Um, I think, you know, one kind of theme that we're seeing uh, in this year's, you know, ensemble of films across the board is that... It's more, it's about representation, it's about diverse storytelling, and it's about, you know, celebrating uh, cultures and celebrating different voices. And I think Coco is a film that does that so, so beautifully um, by exploring Latin American culture and, you know, employing a cast uh, of 
voice actors uh, who are all of Latin American descent, right? Um, all these little factors really matter to the overall story. And Coco just reminded me of my own upbringing, right? As a, as a South Asian Canadian. I mean, obviously there are some differences between South Asian culture and Latin American culture, but the, the basic tenets of, you know, family and love and honoring your ancestors, those are all themes that I haven't really seen in an animated film or not too many of them, um, at least to the same degree as they're celebrated in Coco. And I think, uh, I think those, that story, uh, as rooted as it is in the culture, um, celebrates it so beautifully. And yes, I cried at the end of that movie. So <laughs> therefore, it will win. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think something interesting um, that you for- pointed out was you with your South Asian background. I know listening to you on the Capsule podcast, you've talked about yours and your family connection with Bollywood films. And, and those are, are very mm-hmm. musical based. And I think that also kind of plays into the Coco thing where I think a lot of people of Mexican heritage and Latin American heritage uh, appreciate this idea of the the musical movie was such an integral part to their culture cultural background where I think that's sort of a, mm-hmm. an interesting connection that people of Southeast Asian descent also share yeah definitely and it's like you know even like the little the little details and the similarities like in that in Coco you know they obviously a huge part of the plot and the story is of um honoring your ancestors and keeping a place for them in your home and, you know, just something as simple as having photos of them within the house and, um, you know, making sure that you, you pay respect to them. And we definitely do that in our homes too. And they're, they're decorated and, you know, we, we revisit those who we have lost. And, um, that was one element of the film that really, that really spoke to me and, you know, just the overall kind of the appreciation of your elders and the, you know, the, the, the connections of the fam- the value of family connections. It's like, it's community is so central to my culture. And I imagine it's from what I understand, what I know, it's very central to Latin American culture too. And I think a lot of people can identify with that. And um, yeah, it's just, it's so entrenched within that culture. And I think it's a beautiful celebration. Now, do you have any snubs for this one? So I, I haven't seen it, um, but I, I just feel like given the hype of its predecessor that I, it probably should have been included. So the Lego Batman movie, I know people love Will Arnett voicing Batman in the Lego movie and that like had such a huge place when it came out. Um, and I, I think a lot of people enjoyed the Lego Batman movie. So I was kind of surprised to see that it wasn't a part of this pack of nominees. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, my uh, one that I think should win is Loving Vincent. I've now seen four of these. The only one I haven't seen is Ferdinand yet. Uh, and I think animated feature is a category that in theory is probably the most interesting and fascinating one to me. What, how do you how do you award best animated feature? Is it based on the quality of the animation? Is it based on the story? Is it based on the voice acting? Is it based on furthering the medium in new and different ways? I think there's so many different ways that you can sort of quantify what makes the best animated feature more so than any other category. Um, 
And one of the things that I hate is the is the absolute dominance by the three main studios, which is Disney, Pixar, and DreamWorks. That's not to say that they don't point, put out fantastic films, but I think more than than all the other movies where it's obviously an American-based academy for the most part and things like that, animation, while there's a rich history in the United States, I think there are other countries that have a richer history of animation that they put more time, effort, and consideration and revere it at a different level than we do in North America. And I think it's a, it's an absolute shame that there isn't more recognition behind it. Um, I was looking it up recently and there's only been i think it's this now the 13th or 14th year there's only been two non-american winners since the award was created and one of it was uh miyazaki's howl's moving castle and i'm blanking on the second one right now but it was also fairly early on in the the awards career um the awards history um, and I would love to see more international animated films not only win, but also be nominated. This year, only one was not made in the United States, and that's the breadwinner. And the only one, there's a smaller budget one, and that was Loving Vincent, which was a co-pro, co-pro between the United Kingdom and the United States. Um, so that's my little bit of rant for that. Uh, I would want Loving Vincent to win. It's so unique and original. People, they had over 100 artists paint oil paintings to create the animation so it's like stop motion but it's with oil paintings to tell the story of vincent van gogh done in the style of vincent van gogh's artwork and it's just so unique and interesting to watch and it's just absolutely beautiful i think anyone that that likes a good animated film this is definitely one that they should be checking out and as far as who i think who will win you know it's a no-brainer it's coco coco i I think is a very deserving winner. It's beautiful. It's got a great story. The animation is, of course, flawless as Pixar's animation is. And like you said, I cried at the end too. Like it's impossible not to cry in this movie, <laughs> which is basically like the Pixar hallmark. You can basically set your watch to at what point in this movie am I going to start crying? Is it going to be at the very beginning? Not this movie. Okay, it's going to be towards the middle, and then again at the very end. What what part of the Pixar are you going to cry at? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as far as who was snubbed, I, I agree with you. Lego Batman movie. That's the only other anime movie I've seen. And I quite liked it. I hate it. Uh, the Boss Baby, such a terrible movie. Uh, I kind of ranted about it in my my Letterboxd review, and also I wrote about it in my Oscar primer about uh, why I hated it. Um it's probably going to come in second in voting because it's a DreamWorks movie, but thankfully we do not have to have the Boss Baby winner because Coco is a very deserving winner on its own. Uh, but Lego Batman movie was definitely snubbed, and I think it should have been in place there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my rant about animated feature. I, you know, it's not something I ever think I'm passionate about, but then when we start, like I can't stop talking about it and and i and i hopefully am making rachel very proud who unfortunately isn't able to be on this episode (laughs) because i know she's a big animator animated geek herself so hopefully i I did her proud uh i think so and i think i think you brought out a lot of interesting points about how we evaluate what makes a great animated film Mm mm-hmm and like, I love Pixar movies. I love them. They always have the best stories and their animation is always perfect and they're always advancing it. But like, 
is that the only way to evaluate it? I think is a is an important question we need to be asking about this category because this category could be so much better than frankly, three fifths of the nominations are usually, you know, throwaway garbage that we look back a few years and be like, really, that was nominated? Yeah. <laughs> well, we already know which film you're gonna say that about. So. Yeah. And like the international <laughs> ones is basically like, oh, Studio Ghibli released a movie that gets the token foreign animated film nomination because they're apparently the only animation studio in the world that's worthy of, of competing with Disney Pixar DreamWorks. Mm hmm. But right. that was my rant. I, I'm done, and we're going to move on <laughs> to documentary feature. I've now seen four of these, and ironically slash sadly enough, the one I haven't seen, Faces Places, is literally the documentary that I've been wanting to see the most all year, and I haven't been able to see it yet. So I don't have an opinion mm -hmm. on that. As far as who I think should win, I really loved Abacus Small Enough to Jail. It's a really interesting film about the only financial institution that actually had uh, that went to trial over the 2008 financial crisis. This is something like the 2,500th biggest bank in the United States, a small family-owned bank that works out of Chinatown in New York City, and they were the ones that got indicted and charged and brought to court. And it's this really interesting movie that that chronicles this this family as they're going through the trial and how they believe it's an injustice of what is going on and a total misrepresentation of what actually happened and, and utterly fascinating. You know, it gets a little lingo heavy as far as financial terms. And I think if the big short went over your head, this movie is definitely going to go over your head. But if you found the big short to be a really interesting and formative movie, this makes a really good pairing with it where I think you can really help understand what was happening, not only on the large scale like big short was, but on the smaller scale of what was happening with the smaller financial institutions like Abacus, small enough to jail, which really does go in depth to it. Um, who I think will win is, is Icarus. This is actually a really good movie too, and and I can easily vouch for it should be a winner. Um, but I think it's made all the more timely. It's about Russian doping and uh, and in sports, and one with the current climate of Russia kind of trying to weasel its way into everything, especially with American politics, and the Olympics that just concluded where I believe three Russian athletes were found doping after Russia was already banned for doping. Uh, I think it's just a very topical movie and I think that's enough to kind of make it win. Uh, I unfortunately haven't seen any other documentaries this year, so I have no snubs. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're definitely much more well-versed, as I mentioned at the top of this episode. I have not been keeping up to date with a few of these categories and documentary being one of them. Um, but I have heard very, very good things about Faces Places. And I, I almost feel like it's our duty because of Agnes Varda to see it. Absolutely. Um, Right. And uh, I've, I've also heard great things about Icarus. So it's, it's good to hear that, um, you know, you enjoyed it as much as you did and that it looks like it might be the winner. Um, I've just gone off of, you know, a little bit about what I've read out there and like some of, you know, some of the films that have already gained some recognition. So I just picked Strong Island as the documentary that I think will win. I haven't seen it. So I can't really I don't have a personal opinion as to why that is. But um, 
you know, I, I, I like stories that, you know, or documentaries that cover these, these small instances, which is why it sounds like, um, abacus would be something up my alley. Um, because these are the, these are the moments that we're just so unaware of, right. Um, or it, it doesn't get as much coverage as, you know, some of the other bigger stories that we see out there. Um, so strong Island, um, from what I can see is about a, um, about uh, the director of the film, Yance Ford. So his his brother uh, was a 24-year-old man and was murdered in 1992, and he was killed by a white mechanic. And the jury uh, decided to decline the indictment of the killer, uh, who claims self-defense, and so it's an exploration of, you know, the family and how they've kind of, they're still navigating, you know, what happened and how, uh, how they've dealt with that. Um, and it, you know, it's a Sundance film. Uh, it's a Netflix film. It received the Gotham Independent Film Award for Best Documentary. Um, so those, it sounds great to me, but I have absolutely no idea whether or not people will vote for it. Um, and I think the other thing, the other documentary that I've heard a lot of conversation about, and, you know, it wasn't nominated, so this is my choice for the snub, is the uh, Jane Goodall documentary called Jane, which was produced by National Geographic. Um, my understanding is that it's essentially just a compilation of several interviews that she's done and, you know, all the behind the scenes footage of other documentaries that are out there uh, covering her work. Um, but it's just cut and edited really beautifully. So uh, I think a fair, fair amount of people were surprised that it wasn't nominated um, for this category. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either, but that was one I definitely want to see. Every It seems like almost every year there's like a high-profile documentary that looks like the front runner that just ends up not getting nominated at all, and, and this seems to be mm -hmm. this year's. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I definitely want to check that out. That's that's on my to-see list. Um now, I find that the next two categories kind of always go hand in hand. So if you want to talk about sound editing and sound mixing uh, back to back, uh, please go right ahead. Yeah, for sure. So um, for me, this is kind of a no brainer. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of people will probably end up going with these picks and I think it will ultimately win uh, for both sound editing and sound mixing. i I picked um, who should win and who will win will be Dunkirk. Um, I think that first and foremost, if you haven't seen that film in a theater, shame on you because that is a film that is meant to be experienced in a theater because of the sound. Um, the The work on that film is the the sound work on that film is just so integral to the entire experience and into bringing you into into the entire story of being on the beach with these young soldiers and of being in the air with Tom Hardy, uh, and being, you know, being on, on that boat with, uh, Barry Kinoff, I think that's, or Kin that's how you pronounce his last name. I'm not sure. Killian Murphy's on that boat too. It's just, it's, it's like, it's very, it really creates the environment for that film and to bring you into that very tense few days that these soldiers experienced um and i i would be shocked if anything else wanted to be perfectly honest um upon kind of thinking about it i i could see baby driver potentially getting in there because the mixing between the the score again the the sounds of you know the the racing sounds and kind of the the action scenes were done really well um and the soundtrack is amazing so kind of weaving those together in the sound mixing process um i could see that you know kind of getting recognition potentially 
Uh, but ultimately, I do think Dunkirk will just take it for both categories. And I didn't pick any snubs because, I again, I feel like Dunkirk is it. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with basically everything you said. I think my, my should wins for both are, are going to be Baby Driver. I really love the sound design in those movies. Edgar Wright has basically made a career out of making music videos into full-length features. Um, and mm-hmm. I think this is probably his most music video of all his movies so far. I'm, I'm a huge Wright fanboy to begin with. Uh, this is probably my, my least favorite of his four movies because I think the third act definitely kind of falls short compared to that brilliant first act. Um, but I think it's absolutely undeniable the the sound editing and sound mixing and everything put together is just so perfectly made uh, that you can't help but but fall in love with what Edgar Wright is trying to do. Uh, but who I think will win is, is Dunkirk. You know, war movies are definitely an easy pick for these categories because there's always so much sound layering to go on, and and I think. Christopher Nolan really incorporated something new to the war genre that we have never seen and it is utterly fascinating to watch and I saw it in theaters on 70 millimeter and and having Mm -hmm. all that with you know the amazing surround sound definitely was fantastic and Dunkirk I think it's hard to talk about Dunkirk without sort of also going into the score and the cinematography and everything. And I think Nolan <laughs> really married all the components of what separates film from either uh, just a pure auditory uh, experience or a purely visual experience in a way that, you know, only someone like him can do. Uh, and then my Yeah, snub... definitely. I... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, I was just gonna. I was just to chime in on the Dunker conversation. I think a huge part, or you know, what makes that film as great as it is, is the focus on the various technical elements, right? Um, in terms of you know war films, like we've we've kind of seen several versions of war movies, World War II movies. We've seen the story of Dunkirk kind of play out uh, in multiple projects over the last year so it's actually it's a part of the darkest hour it's a part of the crown on netflix and then of course it's the film itself so a lot of people have you know are probably more attuned to that story and you know kind of aware of of what world war ii was like but the it's those elements like you said the cinematography the sound the score um which really bring it all together mm-hmm. Uh, and then my snubs are, are Phantom Thread. Uh, I know you haven't seen this yet, but uh, there's a few moments where Daniel Day-Lewis's character is hypersensitive to sound, and they crank up the the sound effects that are going on in ways that, like, as an audience member, it just, like makes you absolutely cringe and want to like stuff cotton balls in your ear and and rip out your eardrums it's so fascinating it's it's a a scene in particular i'll talk about where um they're at the breakfast table and she's buttering her toast and he's like do you have to butter your toast so loudly and all you hear as an audience member is a sound of a butter knife scraping against burnt toast and we all know what that sounds like but it is literally one of the loudest sounds in the entire movie and then she pours herself a tea and you can hear every drop of water going from the teapot into her her cup 
and you just are like, oh my God, can you not do that so loudly, please? And it's just so <laughs> funny. And the way the sound design works, they do it so perfectly that I, I, I can't help but wish that the, that was nominated for sound editing and sound mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're going to move on to film editing. You know, I, I just was praising Baby Driver for Edgar Wright making a full length music video. And one of the things that makes that movie work so well is its editing. I think there's there's two scenes at the very beginning. There's the initial heist. Then there is the going to get coffee montage where mm-hmm. the, the editing of how to knowing when to cut to make the shots line up perfectly and when not to cut, I think are two very key elements of editing. And those two scenes kind of contrast the lots of cuts with a very minimal amount of cuts so much so that it's a full length take, uh, for the, the getting coffee montage, uh, where it's just one of those things where that is an editor doing his job properly of letting what's on screen play out and i i think both of those moments kind of work together very great in in contrast to each other so that would be definitely my my should win who i think will win is dunkirk nolan weaves together three different timelines and at every moment you are the audience member is very aware of what is happening it takes place a week before a day before and during the events is just so fascinating to see it and then as the movie comes to a conclusion when they all sort of merge together it's just so beautifully done that you cannot be impressed by what the editing is going on because there's so many different things at play and nolan keeps it all at bay there and then who I think was snubbed was was Blade Runner 2049. I'm going to talk about Blade Runner 2049 later on uh, in some other categories, but I think the editing is definitely a key part of what made this movie so fascinating and interesting in my eyes. And I and I kind of wish that it was snubbed. That was not snubbed. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Blade Runner 2049, but I've heard great things in in, in relation to its editing specifically. Um, for my picks, I said that for who should win, I loved the way I, Tanya was edited. So we were, we were talking about, you know, the, the screenplay and I think the editing went hand in hand with how well written it was. Um, just like some of the, um, you know, when we're the, the splicing between the interviews and like, you know, the, the false narrative that you were talking about earlier. And I, I think it was just the editing was able to convince you of, you know, like really convince you of her story and timely comedy was very key to it. Um, and kind of going back and forth between these different styles, they were just merged really well into that story and into that film, which is what makes it, you know, equally equal parts tragic as it is oddly funny. Um, who I think will win. I, I think people are just in love with the shape of water and I get it because I really love that film as well. Um, the one sequence that, still kind of stands out to me and I haven't seen the film since TIFF so I probably should go back and uh, revisit it and see it again but there's this one there's this one scene um I think where it's like the water the water seeps through to the floor and like you see um see the the creature and uh the main character they're they're in the theater below and that's the Elgin Theater in Toronto and so maybe this is my bias coming through but when I was watching that I was in the Elgin theater and it was just, it was just such a beautifully kind of well, 
well-executed moment um, that really stood out to me even all these months later. Um, and I do think, you know, the sort of flow of that story is is very natural. And, if you know, as I'm talking and using these words, I'm like, okay, how else can we describe water? Because it's just so beautifully fluid. Um, and I, I think, I do think it will end up winning. Um, for snubs, I oddly picked two horror films. I said It and I said Get Out. Uh, it, which I, you know, I, I don't know why this came to my head. Um, but as I kind of, you know, revisited that movie a little bit, I think part of the reason why it was as good as it was is because it was just a well done film. And the editing was really key to, you know, the story and the execution and some of the, some of the scares that are, that go on in it. Um, and it's one of the best horror movies that we've kind of had on a more commercial scale in the last few years. And for Get Out, I, you know, I, I just think that everything about that film is so meticulous and the editing is included um, within, you know, that sort of analysis and that sort of thought. And it's kind of a shame that it wasn't nominated for this category. That's interesting. Uh, I think you, you made some, some really great points. Uh, I, I agree. I Tanya, if baby driver wasn't in this category, I definitely think I Tanya's editing is probably the most unique after it. And I would love to see that one win. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it, but I would definitely swap out three billboards with get out. I, I agree that that definitely was sort of snubbed for me. This is also, once again, my bias of not liking three billboards coming through. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to be fair, I think the editing in three billboards, I, I, they did a well, they did a good job with it. Um, from, you know, my, my memory, um, I think that's, it's kind of what made the film as tight and as focused as it was. Um, but you know, any, any issues that I have with the pacing of the story or the story itself is simply to do with elements that were missing from the screenplay, I think, more so than the editing. Yeah, and as far as these these five movies go, I think Three Billboards is the one that probably is the least noticeable editing, not to say that makes it better or worse in any way, but for a category about editing, I think it sort of sticks out as not being uh, noticeably a great edited film. Whereas, you know, the the praise that we've been saying for, for Dunkirk and what you say about I, Tonya and Shape of Water and, and Baby Driver, those all, you know, you can point to very specific moments of some great editing and, and what you were saying for Get Out too. Um, so it just kind of sticks out a bit for me. Mm-hmm. No, fair point. Uh, now let's go into best visual effects. What do you got there? So although I've already said that I haven't seen Blade Runner 2049, <laughs> I kind of think that it should win, oddly enough. Um, I, I just feel like from what I have seen and, you know, what, you know, the conversations I've had with people who have seen it, um, it was a huge kind of feat for Denis Villeneuve to kind of take this on as a director and he it seems like you know from my understanding that he really really celebrated this this sort of futuristic world and had the right team in place to create it and for a film that's nearly three hours long and to not feel like three hours you've got to be doing something very immersive with it um, which is why I think it should win which is very odd for someone who hasn't even seen it um, who will win I am just going to go with Star Wars, The Last Jedi. I do think there is a lot of cool FX work in this film. Um, 
you know, like when the when the first trailer kind of came out, I really enjoyed the scene, which kind of happens in the third act of the film um, with all these like, you know, these fighter jets and like they've got like the red smoke kind of going across. And I thought that was just so beautifully done. Um, and then, you know, I have a bias towards the porgs. OK, like how do you design porgs these really weird creatures and not give them some recognition um i also have a porg sitting on my desk at work and his name is gerald and i just (laughs) feel like he deserves some recognition so um and in terms of who was snubbed i am gonna go with thor ragnarok so i i really think that in this in the realm of superhero films and especially marvel films like a lot of people liked thor ragnarok in in the scheme of Thor movies, but I think as a whole, it was just so well done, so funny, so weird. And um, there's a lot more color in this film and a lot of, a lot of risks taken, um, you know, in comparison to the other Thor movies and some of the other Marvel movies out there, it was definitely more in line with like a guardians of the galaxy type of feel, um, which was nominated for visual effects. And I would have loved to have seen Thor recognized for its wacky and crazy and fun work. Yeah, um, I think I think this is the type of category where you can easily look at still images, the trailer clips to get an understanding of what in, went into the visual effects. I think there's a few of these categories. You know, you can go for production design, makeup, costume design, all on a very similar level. Where you don't actually need to see the movie. You just need to sort of see what's going into it, what's the reason for the nomination to kind of get a feel of what you think is the best. Um, that said... Blade Runner 2049 definitely has the best visual effects, in my opinion. Uh, I'm going to be talking about this movie a lot as far as um, below-the-line production stuff. And and I I loved what it did. You know, my favorite moment in this, you haven't seen it yet, obviously, so this is going to be nothing to you. But Mm -hmm. there's a a scene in the the Vegas, uh, bombed-out Vegas section and there's a hologram of giant Elvis playing. He keeps flickering on and off. And then there's a, whole, a chorus line of showgirls behind him while this like shootout is going on. It's pretty fantastic. And then, of course, there's a, a great moment of uh, Ryan, Ryan Gosling's K is outside in the rain with his animated girlfriend slash friend slash maid uh it's really hard to explain uh but she's out there she's just a hologram and rain is falling and it's like dripping through her and it's causing little minor glitches every time a raindrop hits her but you can still see through her the entire time it's just a really fascinating interesting uh cgi effect that i think was pretty cool that i think makes it deserving but who i think will win is War for the Planet of the Apes. This is the third time now, third movie in this franchise, and every time I think they get progressively better with the motion capture effects, led most notably by Andy Serkis uh, in his performance as Caesar. And I think the apes and orangutans and all the monkeys are getting more and more lifelike that it's just getting really unnerving actually how realistic they look uh while still doing some really interesting things so i I would love to see this win you know i remember when the first one came out people were wondering you know every few years it's like will andy circus finally get an oscar nomination And I think this might be the closest to, we're not going to give Andy Serkis a nomination, but here, take your damn award. Um, so I, yeah. think, I think that could be it. 
uh, and who was snubbed. You and I seem to be on the same wavelength. Thor Ragnarok. I haven't seen Black Panther yet, but as of now, I've seen every Marvel movie, and this is my favorite. Uh, you know, the color palette that you talked about was so amazing to see. It, it definitely stood out like a breath of fresh air from fresh air from not only the other Marvel movies, but every other superhero movie we've seen. And it was just so beautiful to see and everything that was going on. Uh, I really wish that this was was nominated. I think Guardians did some interesting stuff too, but I think Ragnarok was better than Guardians. Uh, and since yeah. we're here, I'm just going to go out here and along with me not liking three billboards, I hated Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> Does this mean we're not going to be able like... to friends anymore? No, no, no. I mean, as long as you don't like insult Gerald, my porg, we're going to we're going to be fine. You know, like I, I get it. Um, did you how many times did you see Star Wars? Just once? Just once. Okay. Yeah. See, I found upon a second viewing, it was much better the second time around. Like the first time I was like, yeah, okay. All right. But the second time I was like, oh, I get it. I see it. I know why. So, but it seems to have been a pretty divisive entry into that franchise. So, for, for me, I think watching it a second time will not improve it. I think it'll just make what I didn't like about it even more glaring because my issue was plot holes. And, and plot holes don't okay. get smaller the more you watch it they get bigger and, and I think it would just mm. sort of amplify that of what I thought was a bunch of ridiculousness with a bunch of unneeded actions and people making you know what were supposedly grand gestures that amounted to nothing uh, and, and so that w were my issues with it the porgs while adorable and I love the one screaming in the Millennium Falcon at the end with Chewie were, were pretty unnecessary overall for me. <laughs> Fair point. I, I get it. I, you know, I was just very sold on that whole marketing scheme. So, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is, unfortunately I like, as soon as we started seeing them in commercials and, and stills early on, you can tell now when a movie's like, Oh, that's what they're going to be marketing. You know, got to get that minion money. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I, they literally just used the one shot of the Porg um, screaming in the Millennial, Millennium Falcon, Falcon. Oh, my gosh, I can't speak. Um, in, the, in the trailer, that was the one only tease that we got of it. And people were sold from the get-go. Mm -hmm. um, and you knew this was going to be, like, the next big Disney sensation. So Absolutely. will we get a spinoff? I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that their entire existence was because they shot on an island outside of off of just off of Ireland and they were puffins mm -hmm. and that they weren't allowed to touch them or remove them. So they just set up their cameras and there would be puffins walking around in the background of these shots, but they couldn't do anything about it. So instead of CGIing them out, they just created porgs on top of them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great thing when real life inspires creative characters. So. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that little tidbit. Uh, so now we're going to go on to the shorts. Uh, I'm going to start with documentary short. I've seen four of the five. The only one I haven't seen is Traffic Stop because HBO hates Canada. Oh. Um, but I, for some reason, the, the shorts always, you know, get very um, intense feelings inside of me that I get very passionate about. Who I think should win is, is Heroin. 
Uh, it's on Netflix. It's super easy to see. I think everyone should watch it. It's about the opioid epidemic that's going on in the United States, and it takes one town uh, and looks at what's happening in, I want to say, West Virginia, so one, one of these unfortunately poor states in the union that is more ill-equipped to deal with uh, this epidemic than some of the other states. And it focuses on three women in different roles that they are taking to combat this. You have one woman who uh, is a firefighter who uh, deals with as a first responder. So she is there on the scene and, you know, you listen to her talk about how she gets anywhere from, you know, one to six calls a day about someone overdosing. And she is there as people are literally dying and she's trying to revive them. Uh, so her only job is to make sure people live. And then there's also a judge who deals with drug rehabilitation court. So it's people who are court ordered to go and, and, and check in to see how they're progressing. Are they working? Are they staying clean? What are they doing? How are, how are they feeling? Things like that. This The judge is, is in control of this court ordered drug rehab and listening to her want people to be better but at the same time needing to dole out punishments for people who relapse is you know very heartbreaking but a very real part of the judicial system and she obviously cares about these people and then the third person is someone who works for a church organization uh, that goes around with people who are recovering if they see people on the streets giving them food giving them a someone that they can talk to, connecting them with shelters, things like that, and trying to make sure that they can, the people who are, who are recovering, set a good example that like, hey, you can recover too, you can get clean. And I think it does a really great job of structuring a really good narrative story, telling you different sides of what's going on and having a nice conclusion. Uh, and I definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, you can check it out. Um, who I think... <laughs> Will win is Edith and Eddie, and of the four, it's the one I hated the most. This movie is absolutely terrible, uh, but it deals with elder abuse and uh, an interracial couple, and I think for maybe people that don't care enough to see them all or only see one, you know, it's a good flashy political subject, but this movie is so one-sided, it is actually annoying to see. Uh, you see... The elder abuse happening from this one woman. She's got two daughters, one who are trying to protect her and her new husband. And then the other daughter is trying to evict her from her house. But we don't know why the daughter is doing this or why that she managed to get a legal court guardian to rule in the favor of her. And it's just really poor documentary filmmaking that the documentary makers should be ashamed that they put this out there. Uh, this movie is also free. You can watch it on the official Edith and Eddie website. So if you want to see it and be angry like I am, um, feel free to do so. Uh, and I have no subs because I obviously don't see any other documentary shorts. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, heroin sounds super interesting. So I definitely want to check that out. And I, you know, I haven't seen any, any of the shorts on a whole, so I unfortunately can't contribute a lot here, but uh, Edith and Eddie is a film that I've heard quite a bit about, and I think, you know, the, the subject matter is probably something a lot of people are, it's, it's pretty timely, and people are kind of identifying with some of the issues that the film tackles, 
Um, but it's also got this, uh, it's got some firepower in terms of who's working on it. And that's Cher, who's mm-hmm. an executive producer. So um, sometimes those elements definitely play into how films end up winning at the Academy Awards. Um, but interesting to hear your take on it. I'm definitely going to check it out and, you know, to see what it's all about. Um, I think part of my, part of the issue overall for me with like shorts is that somehow I miss out on the fact that it's actually not as hard as you think it is to see them. Um, so it's good to know that, you know, and hopefully you can provide some links in the show notes, Dakota, but um, it's good to know that they're actually a little more accessible than we might imagine that they might be. Yeah, I'll, I'll include links in the show notes. I'll just say right off the bat, Edith and Eddie is available for free on the official website. Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405 is available for free on YouTube. Heroin is on Netflix. And Knife Skills, you have to rent from iTunes. I did that or buy it. I think it was $3.99. Uh, so if you are wanting to see it, I, I recommend Knife Skills as well. Uh, it You have to buy it, unfortunately. Traffic Stop, like I said, is an HBO movie that they're only showing on their American website if you have an HBO subscription already. So it's a lot more inaccessible than that. Uh, as far as the animated, mm-hmm. And the live actions, they are currently playing uh, at Tiff Bell Lightbox, so they can be seen there. And this coming week, I will be seeing them. As of right now, for the animated shorts, I haven't seen any, although um, uh, one of them, uh, Revolting Rhymes, is on Netflix right now, so that is easily seen. I'll link to that. Who I think will win is probably Dear Basketball. That's the Kobe Bryant uh, one that seems to be having some buzz, mm-hmm. but I don't really have anything to say about it yet because i haven't seen it yeah i'm the exact same i picked deer basketball as well simply because i've heard a lot about it and uh it's buzziness but i haven't seen it so can't really comment on the the quality (laughs) yeah and for live action short uh same uh the only it's so hard for the live action short because the ones that have buzz never win you know this is this is such an interesting category where it's probably the most difficult one to predict of all of them i put what to vote uh don't know really anything about it. i've read like the the one sentence summary of all of them and that one i'd seen mentioned a few times that people would really like so that's my pick <laughs> nice <laughs> um uh, yeah, so you know that's uh, I'm. This is the end of part one. We're going to have part two. We're going to go over the rest of the categories. So thank you so much, Mahek, for joining me. You are obviously going to be here for part two. Uh, check out mm-hmm. liveandlimbo.com where the show notes are going to be. I'm going to have links for where you can see some of these movies. Uh, I'm going to list the ones that are on Netflix, the ones that are easily found, regardless of if they're the the documentary shorts or otherwise. Uh, and I hope you enjoy this first episode. Mahek, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at What's Mahek. Um, yeah, definitely let me know what you've seen, what you haven't seen, and what uh, I should be watching, because there clearly is a lot I haven't seen yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you used to always say, listen to me on, on Capsule as well, but unfortunately right now you guys are on a bit of a hiatus, so uh, yes, you can listen are. to old episodes of Capsule. Yeah, for sure. Actually, you know, I like revisiting old episodes of like, you know, conversations around like the Grammys and the Oscars just to see 
what I said and, you know, what the, you know, what, what our thoughts were at the time and then kind of compare them to what they are now. So definitely check those out. You know, Sean and I are not gone forever. We are around and um, stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DGAPA and you can also follow the show at ContraZoomPod. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you.